0: Welcome to the Planet Microcap podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. Thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. You can follow Planet Microcap on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. You're listening to episode 201. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to tweet at me or shoot me an email at rcraft at And when you do get a chance, if you like what you hear, please rate and review Planet Microcap on iTunes. It really helps provide feedback for me and spread the Microcap message. Today's episode is sponsored by Quarter, whose mission is to change the way people look at investor relations and create a completely new bridge between companies and stakeholders. Visit your app store of choice to try it out, and that's Quarter, Q U A R T R. We are less than three weeks away from the SNN Network Canada virtual event happening December 7th through 9th, 2021. Please go to canada.snn.network to see the list of issuers that will be joining us. Paul Andreola, on behalf of Small Cap Discoveries, and myself, on behalf of SNN Network, are teaming up to highlight our neighbors to the North, Canada. Paul and his team have been finding value creative opportunities on the TSX, TSX Venture, CSE, and now the NEO, for a long time. And as a result, we wanted to host an event that encapsulates those opportunities. So you can expect three days of keynotes, educational panels, company presentations, and one-on-one meetings. To register, please go to canada.snn.network and click the register button. We look forward to seeing you all there. For episode 201 of the Planet Microcap podcast, I spoke with Rich Howe. He is the founder and editor of Stock Spinoff Investing, a premium newsletter focused on spinoffs. I originally met Rich when he was a guest on Avoiding the Crowd with Sway Don, a great episode, by the way. I highly recommend you guys all go and listen to that. And uh, it inspired me to not only start following Rich in his newsletter, but I want to share more of his expertise on here. As you can imagine, our conversation is about all things spinoffs, criteria, identifying opportunities, case studies. Why they go unnoticed by most investors and much more. Thank you again for tuning in to episode 201 of the Planet MicroCap podcast. And please enjoy my conversation with Rich Howe. Welcome back, everybody, to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And joining me today, my guest is Rich Howe. He is the founder and editor of StockSpinoffInvesting.com. It's a premium newsletter covering all things stock spinoffs. I'm really excited to have him on today because I just, I love special situations. I think spinoffs are just so interesting. There's such great stories within there. There's so much just everything involved. I originally met Rich uh, when he was a guest on Avoiding the Crowd podcast with Modest Way, Don, and I've been a follower ever since. So with that, Rich, thank you so much for joining me today. How you doing, man?
1: Good, good, man. Yeah, I've been a big fan of yours, been listening to your microcap podcast. I think I've listened to most of the episodes, so it's, it's, it's fun to be on here. Yeah, really, really happy to be here.
0: You know, I'm glad you said that because there's a quiz at the end of this. So I hope I hope you're ready to. You know, we, we just published episode 200. You're 201. So this is this is around quiz time.
1: I like it. I like it. All right. We'll, we'll see how I do.
0: We'll see how you do. All right. Well, look. As I said at the open, here we're going to be doing a full deep dive on spinoffs and and why this is such an interesting special situation. But before we get into all that, you know, where would your where did your passion for investing begin? You know what. What what was it that led you to to your focus being on spin-offs?
1: Yeah. So um a great question. So I um both my parents were in the in the in the industry. So my dad was a large cap value portfolio manager in Boston at a at a um, relatively small partnership. I think they had like a billion under management. And my mom was a bond analyst for Pimco. So they were both kind of you know in the industry. Um I just kind of gravitated towards stocks so I could. My dad was a good teacher. I could kind of ask him, you know, a million questions. You know, from there, I, you know, joined kind of the investment clubs and in high school and college, did that whole thing. And, uh, you know, just loved investing, thought I would, you know, eventually one day kind of be a be a portfolio manager. And uh, and yeah, so it was kind of like, uh, you know, I just I just loved it. It's one of those things that I have you know, just liked. Uh, I kind of knew that I wanted to be in the markets uh, from from, I guess, a, a pretty young age. Very cool. So I mean, what was it then? Catch
0: me up. All right. So you've always been in the markets. Your, your parents were in it. So you clearly at the at the dinner table were talking a lot about stocks and investing. So I mean, how did you get to spin-offs? Like what, what was what oh, was totally. that experience?
1: Yeah. You you asked that question and I just completely ignored it. So um yeah, good question. My mom's bonds, my dad's value stocks. How do how do I get to spin-offs? So I started um, my career at Eaton Vance, which is a large cap uh, equity management firm. You know, mainly picking large cap stocks. So, great place to start my career and learned a ton. Um, like many, I read, um, you know, you can be a stock market genius. One of, I think, Joel Greenblatt's first book. And like many, it just kind of like hit me like a light bulb. I, the chapter on spinoffs, I think, is like sixty or seventy pages, and it just it just made so much sense. Um, and I'm sure we'll dive into it, but you know, historically they'd outperformed. So that was kind of interesting. Um, there's a lot of non-economic reasons why, um, you know, there's a lot of indiscriminate selling, you know, typically when a spinoff uh, first starts trading. And so it just seemed fascinating to me. I obviously wasn't the first the first, or the only person to read that book, but that's that's when I got kind of really interested in, in you know, diving deep into spinoffs. And that's when I started kind of First, um, investing in, you know, trying to, you know, make money, investing in spinoffs. That was probably around, I started working in 2006, probably around 2007 or 2008. Very good.
0: So, so, okay. So catch us up because we're going to get into all the definitions and where to look and all that stuff very soon, but then, so catch us up from that 2006, 2007 range to today, you know, what, what, what did you do in your career? And then what led to then ultimately you starting the newsletter Stock Spinoff
1: Investing? Yeah, so um, I started my career um, at Eaton Vance, the large cap um, equity research shop. I think Morgan Stanley recently acquired them, but um, you know, did the CFA program, stayed there for about seven years. Um, you know, long only manager, um, assets under management weren't growing that that well, so there wasn't as much upper mobility there. So I looked at looked around for some other options. Um, I ended up switching gears and started working at City Private Bank um, in the private equity research group. Um, and that was kind of completely different from what I was doing at Eaton Vance. Uh, basically, we were trying to evaluate private equity managers. So it was kind of like an allocator role where we meet with, you know, the best and brightest of the private equity, private real estate world, see who's doing interesting things, and then try to set up a separately managed account for city private bank clients to invest into. So I was there for five years, awesome experience, learned a ton, learned the private equity business. Um, but you know, I, I always wanted to do something entrepreneurial, and I, I, I thought it was, I'm going to start a fund at some point or something like that. But I read this book, and I don't know if you've, you've read it, um, called The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. Yeah, it's look. Like, I'm seeing if I can spot it behind you. Yeah, but no, I got, um, I got it. Yeah, there we got go. Got it down there? So <laughs> yeah. that book was really eye-opening for me. It kind of opened my eyes to people who were building businesses without taking on venture capital money, like basically kind of information-based businesses, whether it's a newsletter business or some other, you know, consulting type business. I always thought if you, you start a business, you got to have a lot of money. And um, raise venture money, and you got to be trying to start the next Google or Facebook. But this kind of opened my eyes into um, you know newsletter businesses and things like that. And I thought, you know, what what would I like to do? What do I love um, doing? Like, you know, what am I naturally drawn to? And you know, what am I you know good at? What are the things that I'm good at? And one of the things that I discovered, or that I you know, it was a hypothesis. Well, I love investing in spinoffs. Let's start a blog. So I actually did that anonymously. Um, hopefully, City's City's not listening. While I was at City, um, built up a following, had some good stock picks, and I I wanted to basically kind of turn it into a newsletter and see if I could do it. So um, this was in 2018. I had you know I was married, had one kid, my wife was pregnant. I was the only one working, but we had we had saved up a you know a good amount of money and. I convinced my wife to basically let me, you know, take a shot and try to build this newsletter business. And so, you know, I started my blog, Stock Spinoff Investing in 2016, turned it into a newsletter in 2018. And then for the past three, you know, three and a half years, I've been, um, yeah, working at it at the the Stock Spinoff Investing newsletter, you know, trying to uh, trying to get better and trying to kind of make my service uh, better and better
0: i'd like to take a quick second to tell you about this episode's sponsor quarter with quarter you get frictionless access to conference calls investor presentations transcripts and earnings reports from markets all around the world straight from your pocket for no cost quarter's mission is to change the way people look at investor relations and create a completely new bridge between companies and stakeholders The first step on this journey is to let you, the user, interact with the company's content while you're listening. Visit your app store of choice and try it out today by searching for quarter. And that's Q-U-A-R-T-R. Now back to the show. Very cool. All right. Well, then let's let's dig right in. I think we're there. What are stock spinoffs for those who. You know, listen, for those who are listening in because they know us, they know Rich, they've been following him for years. We apologize if we're going through uh, some, uh, you know, Investopedia one-on-one things right now. But for those who haven't heard of spinoffs and, and everything about it, you know, what exactly are spinoffs? And then why are they interesting investment opportunities?
1: Yeah. So basically, what what is a spinoff? A spinoff is when a public company uh, spins off. Um, a division into an independent uh, public public company. So um, a a good example um, is is a recent example um, is there's a UK um, life or UK insurance company called Prudential. They recently spun off their annuity business um, called Jackson Financial to shareholders. So if on the beginning of September, before the spinoff, you were a shareholder of, of um, say you own 40 shares of Prudential PLC, you know today you own unless you uh, sold anything, you own 40 shares of Prudential and you also own one share of Jackson Financial. So it's basically splitting up um, a company into more than one uh, separately publicly traded um, companies. And then, why are they interesting? So they're interesting for a variety of reasons. First of all, historically, they've they've outperformed. So you know, generally, uh, when Joel Greenblatt wrote his book, I think, I think he said that the average spinoff has generated about a twenty percent, you know, annual return versus the S and P at about about ten percent. So that's per year. So some pretty you know dramatic outperformance. Um, you know, I, like I said before, I was the only one that read the book. So there's been more and more interest in spinoffs. And I think, you know, it's a little cyclical. A lot of people are interested in spinoffs. And so the returns might go down a little bit, but um, my experience is that they're still outperforming to this day. So why are they interesting? Number one, because they tend to outperform. Um, Number two, they're interesting because um, there's often indiscriminate selling. So uh, basically when you're buying a stock, um, you're going to be confident that basically Somebody is on the other side of the transaction and they're selling their share to you. And they believe that you know, you're, it's a good idea to sell the stock to whoever, whoever's buying it. They don't know you're buying it, but they, they clearly think it's a good idea to, to sell the, the stock to you. In spinoffs, oftentimes people will sell spinoffs for no reason whatsoever. Uh, just to give you an example, to go back to um, Jackson Financial, and I'm actually a shareholder of that. I wanted to disclose that. But, um, but if you're a Prudential shareholder um, and you own 40 shares of, or, uh, you know, 40 shares of, of Prudential. And then all of a sudden, you know, the next day you look in your account and you have one little share of a company called Jackson Financial that's apparently an annuity company. And it's a tiny odd lot position for you. And you know nothing about it. You either, it's not going to make a difference, uh, one share in your portfolio. You're either going to have to do some work and make it a real position or just sell it because it's like, oh, i got plenty of stuff to do. I don't really want to spend time on this. And so more often than not, people will just sell the spinoffs, especially the small ones. And so there will be waves of indiscriminate selling pressure. Oftentimes, index funds will own the parent company and they can't own the, the spinoff because uh, the spinoff isn't in the index. Oftentimes, portfolio managers are focused on large cap stocks. If a large cap stock spins off a small cap stock, their mandate prevents them from owning uh, the the spinoff. So if you do your work ahead of time, um, and you can, because these documents that are called Form tens are filed, which basically, uh, show the pro forma financial results for the spinoff. It's kind of like an S one. If, if you were to think of an IPO, um, you can do the math, figure out who the comps are, you know, do your valuation analysis and figure out what a fair price is. And then, you know, if the stock comes out, it gets sold indiscriminately and it's selling at a 50% discount to your, you know, fair value, then that might be pretty interesting. So that's kind of why I find them so interesting. Very good. All right. So
0: we're going to take another step back because I think some people might be asking themselves, you know, including myself sometimes when I see a spin-off happening, is why is would a company want to spin off something within their own business? Like what, why, what, what, where's the incentive there?
1: Yeah. So essentially, um basically it's all around simplicity. So Wall Street, and it's it's one of the reasons why microcaps are so fun, I think, as is that they're really easy to val or they're really easy to analyze because it's usually just one business line and you know exactly what they do you can find comps that are directly comparable to you know ho- hopefully um their business and so it's really easy to eva- evaluate and really easy to analyze when you have a conglomerate um oftentimes there will be a conglomerate discount just because you know you this business is worth this this business is worth this but you're not really going to pay full value. And so oftentimes there will be um, what's called a conglomerate discount um, because it's just, it's just hard to, um, really, know too many details about all the different businesses under the hood of some of these some of these large large uh, large uh, conglomerates. And in general, just Wall Street uh, prefers simplicity. It's just easier to analyze, easier to value. And so, um, generally, the the case is that if you do spin off um, these different businesses, um, it will increase your value because each individual business. Would be valued higher than if they were just jammed together. And then other times that spinoffs um, take place, I'll give you another example. Um, uh, Anglo American um, was a big, you know, a big uh, mining and, and metals company, and it spun off a company called Thungala Resources, which was focused just on coal. And the reason that it spun off that is because from an ESG perspective, coal obviously is not very attractive, and it was such a small part of their business that it's much easier to just spin that off. And not have to worry about it, not have to worry about the ESG headlines, then have to have that um, in in your business line. So um, there's a lot of reasons why companies could create um, or move forward with a spinoff, but the 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 biggest, the most compelling one is is just to create uh, certainty and clarification over you know what each individual company does.
0: Very good, yeah. Because so often, sometimes, especially as these companies get bigger and bigger. There's more and more lines of business. Maybe there were some pocket acquisitions that ended up going getting a lot bigger than they thought. You know, and those were private businesses and now they can spin them out. You know, because you, you brought up an interesting point there, too, when it comes to especially when you're looking at the mining industry and some of these other tech, these tech conglomerates, too, is that there's sometimes a lot of narrative plays here right you know especially yep. in in tech and and well uh, in other things as well you know so 100%. that can that can ha- that can have a lot of that can have a lot of uh i guess play so to speak or-
1: no totally totally i completely agree um i mean just to give you another example that i just thought of um so there's a company called vector group which is a, a small cap company i think it's under a billion. Um, but I need to uh, do more work on it. It's already moved up a bunch, but they announced that they're doing a spinoff um, because they have basically a, a real estate brokerage business, Douglas Element. And then there are other businesses at tobacco, um, their tobacco manufacturing company. So nothing to do with one another whatsoever. And then on top of that, there's a lot of funds and indexes that aren't going to own a tobacco manufacturer due to ESG concerns. So there's A hundred percent, a lot of things come down to narrative and it's not, it's not just about the numbers, but it's like, Hey, if I do X, Y, Z, maybe I'll be eligible for more shareholders to to own my stock. And Rich, I mean, is there a big enough universe
0: of spinoffs out there? I mean, you know, I want to make sure you're busy. You know, I don't (laughs) want you to just be bored because there's only two in the last six months. So can you give us some perspective
1: there? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So there's about, you know, I call it, you know, 20, uh, roughly in the US, there are about 20 new spinoffs per year. Um, So that definitely keeps me busy just in the last, um, in the last week, there were four new spinoff announcements. But also, there's a lot of spin-off announcements that haven't taken place, and so you do your work ahead of time. Sometimes it makes sense to buy the stock ahead of the breakup. Um, there's just a, like a lot of different ways that you can that you can play these um, situations. Um, for instance, you can wait for the spin-off to take place and try to buy a stock that's been indiscriminately sold that you think's worth a lot more. You can buy a spin. You can buy the parent company right ahead of the spinoff event, and um, basically. Uh, you know, hopefully uh, benefit from that that valuation unlock. Like um, GlaxoSmithKline is a good example of that where they announced a spinoff like three years ago of their consumer division. And so it's like, you know, I I, I look at that, add to my watches, but it's like, there's nothing to do until the spinoff approaches, but, but we're getting close to it. And it looks like that event is actually going to unlock some value. And so, um, so there's a lot to do. And then also, um, you know, I'm trying to recommend, stocks that I think are super compelling. So it doesn't have to be a spinoff. So it'll be really any special situation. Um, one area of the market that I've focused on recently is like companies that are selling uh, divisions and then paying out special dividends. I've just found that uh, the market for whatever reason, even though it's publicly disclosed, like doesn't fully appreciate the special dividends that have already been hinted at, but haven't been formally announced. I don't know what it is. I don't know if, you know, once the dividend becomes spe- um, uh, officially declared, the algo algorithms come in and bid up the stock, but there's a lot of like different kind of interesting things going on in the world. And then, as you know, I also look at microcaps too. So there's, yeah, there's definitely plenty to keep me busy. That's for sure.
0: But so, okay, so now we're going to start to get into like the identification of finding these spends. Obviously it's easy. It's I don't want to say it's relatively easy to find when, when it's finally been announced, but let's go on the more nuanced uh, art of spinoff investing, and that's trying to identify potential ones that may come up. What are some of the things that you look for when you're evaluating maybe companies that might sell off a division or or might spin off that division or something like that?
1: Yeah, totally so um, one thing that I do and this is totally basic anybody can do it but um, basically I, I use Google Alerts so I, I have a bunch of Google Alerts that you know if you reach out to me I can I can share with you but it's it's nothing crazy it's like spin-off spin-off business um, you know special dividend because oftentimes uh, spin-offs are are categorized as, as as you know shareholder dividends or special dividends um, you know, so so oftentimes you can get kind of get a hint. For instance, the word spinoff will be flagged in a transcript, but the spinoff transaction actually won't won't be announced yet. And so, you know, that's a case where you can kind of um, you know get a little bit of kind of inside information, or kind of maybe appreciate the information a little bit uh, before the transaction is is officially announced. But honestly, Bobby, um, you don't need to um predict, you don't need to predict them. There's so much opportunity. Um, just following the ones that have been announced, because uh, like I'll give you an example. So um uh IAC, you know, IAC is a very FinTwit love stock, right? Like that is not a hidden stock whatsoever. Um, everybody knew that IAC was spinning off match. This was in 2020. Uh it was, it was announced, it was confirmed. Uh, it was confirmed many times the, the, the uh, distribution ratio had been set and yet you could buy IAC um, and if you backed out uh, IAC stake in match, which you were going to receive and it's stake in Angie, the stub value, which at the time included Vimeo, Dot Dash and a bunch of other assets was valued by the market at negative one and a half billion dollars. So it, it shouldn't have, you wouldn't think it would happen in an efficient market but um, you know, if you just pay attention to the spinoff transactions that have been announced, there's a ton, there's a ton to do, and then we haven't even talked about international names, which I haven't. Um, I'm not as close to. Um, but there's also a lot of spinoff transactions internationally, which are arguably more interesting because they're you know most people in the U.S. are are a little bit more familiar. They're a little bit easier to track from a spinoff perspective.
0: Got it. So then when you do, when, when these spinoffs are are announced and you've identified them and there's a lot of work to do, you know, what's some of the criteria that you look for in a quality spinoff?
1: Yeah. So um, yeah, so I've, you know, my dad was a value investor. So I, I kind of, I, um, I personally invested in Blockbuster back in the day. So like I, you know, I had to get rid of the value, the value bug. And I think, you know, one thing that I've definitely appreciated is that, generally it's not a good idea to invest in a company that's in secular decline I mean that might seem totally obvious to everybody but even if it's trading at a ridiculous cheap price it's just generally generally it doesn't it doesn't work out it doesn't work out that well especially if the company has a lot of debt and so um, you know what I try to do before a spin-off is announced is I try to if I think you know there's going to be some indiscriminate selling pressure I'll try to do some work I'll read through the form 10' I'll try to understand um, the quality of the business, whether revenues are growing or de- declining, you know, the margin profile of the business, how capital intensive it is, kind of basic questions, how competitive the industry is, um, what are the pure play comps? Like, what would this, you know, if this were out for a couple of years um, or were IPO, you know, what, what, how would it be valued? And then, um, and then, what I try to do is I try to come up with kind of a fair fair range of valuations, and hope hope the stock will trade at a big at a big discount to you know to my um, implied fair value fair value. You know, it's, it's just an estimate, so I like to have a big a big discount to that to that estimate. Um, but you can invest. I found that you can invest in situations where it may look like a low growth or value asset. Um, but it's not in secular decline. I'll give you an example. Um, um, Contour Brands was a spinoff from v- VF Corp and they make Wrangler, um, Wrangler and Lee jeans. So jeans, you know, um, Wrangler and Lee weren't grown like crazy, but it's a pretty good brand. Jeans, aren't going away anytime soon, you know, different styles come in and out of favor, but it's not, I, you know, from my perspective, it wasn't an um, apparel line that's in secular decline. And so um, I was able to kind of get comfortable that this would probably be perceived as a bad asset and would sell off, and so, you know, I was able to buy that one, you know, cheap, and ultimately, you know, sell it at a good profit. The other thing that I really look for is um, potential dividend initiation. So I know our friend Maj has coined the phrase "info arbitrage," and I think this is kind of a perfect example where it's it's public. You can look it up, but nobody does it. And basically, in these form tens, they will state oftentimes whether or not they have a dividend policy. And sometimes they'll even tell you how much they're going to pay out and so in the case of contour brands um basically you know they hadn't declared the dividend because they had to it had to get spun off and then they had the board had to officially uh, you know approve the dividend but they said hey we're going to pay out um i forget what it was you know 250 or 285 million as as a dividend and you could run the math and it worked out to like an eight percent yield And then you look, you could look at the other apparel companies. And I think Hanes brand maybe had a dividend yield, but all the other dividend yields were nowhere close to 8%. I mean, 8% was like a tobacco company yield. And so um, the nice thing about a dividend, I mean, it's pretty inefficient from a tax perspective, but the good thing is it forces the stock to re-rate really quickly. And then another example of this is Jackson Financial, which is, you know, a name that I own um, again. But one thing that I was excited about was it looked incredibly cheap. It's in the annuity business, so annuities are not at all sexy, but they've been around for 250 years. People like annuities. I don't necessarily like annuities, but um, but people actually like annuities, and I think they're going to be around for another 100 or 200 years. And so the business is not in secular decline. It looked, you know, optically very cheap. And then in addition, it looked like they were going to. They told us how much they were going to pay out in buybacks and dividends. They didn't say, you know. Uh, they said, you know, in total, it's going to be about $375 million uh, between dividends and stock buybacks. They didn't tell us the dividend yield, but you could kind of read between the lines and look um, and and interpret that they were going to initiate a dividend, which they did. And the stock has been off to the races. So those are some of the things, you know, that I look for when I'm evaluating spinoff that might be a good opportunity.
0: So you, you said I, like one thing in terms of like what not to look for but I mean, are there any red flags when you're evaluating uh, some of these spinoffs o- other than just secular decline? Like what else is there, you know, unscrupulous management? Come on, there, there must be some fun, hairy things that you find.
1: Yeah, totally. So um, let's see. Um, so I'd say, I mean, this is these are all obvious, but like, you know, high debt is, especially if the business is in secular decline, That that's, that's tough. That can be really tough. Um, another thing is just high rate of interest. So if the company is paying like ten or eleven percent interest, and there are spinoffs that are paying that high interest, it just is insane to me. And um, it's been like a hundred percent success rate that whenever I've had you know a company with that high rate of interest, the stock has performed incredibly poorly because it just goes to show you, you know, how the creditors view the quality of the business. So that's that's one thing. Um, and then conversely, if you have a business that, that is perceived to be a, a bad asset but it's, it has debt in the market trading like two percent or three percent, then that's kind of um, reassuring because it, it just reinforces that maybe this isn't as bad an asset as as equity holders think because, you know, bond, bond guys and, and gals tend to be more concerned about the downside. So that's something that I that I definitely uh, look for um, in terms of other let's see other red flags. Um, you know, it's good for management to own a bunch of stock, um, but if it's a large cap company, odds are they're not going to they're not going to own a lot of stock. Um, so, so that you know, that's one thing that I that I do look for in terms of in terms of alignment. Um, I would say, um, yeah, I, I guess the other red flag that I've learned the hard way is just basically taking management's word for it. So oftentimes I'm not a sector specialist. So like I'm coming into a new industry and, um, you know, I'm relying largely on, on guidance from management. And, um, it's important to just sense check whether that actually makes sense, like with, with prior trends. Um, like if management is expecting a sharp turnaround in the business, like, if the business has been declining, you know, for the past three years, like how is it magically going to turn around? So I guess one other thing is, is kind of taking, you know, using guidance and that can be really helpful, but definitely not um, putting full faith in it um, because, you know, that can definitely get you into trouble as well. Absolutely. You know, because I, I keep trying
0: to think of like more myths because we're going to, I'm going to ask you in a second about, you know, why it goes unnoticed, but like do some people tend to think that, all right, companies spinning off, that business or that division is that is that seen as like okay well this might just be a failure cuz they couldn't sell it like why don't they just spin it off then you know like yes, is that yes. something that that goes through people's minds
1: totally i mean the other factor too and this is a huge factor as to why companies uh, spin off these assets instead of sell them um, if they were to sell these divisions oftentimes you have to pay a big tax bill but most spin offs are tax free and so Me as a shareholder, I would much prefer to actually just receive the shares myself as opposed to the enterprise, you know, having to pay 30 percent tax rate on the proceeds or something, especially if the, the, you know, the basis on the business is incredibly low. Um, But, yeah, I mean, you know, it's definitely and and sometimes I think I think the companies are trying to bad, you know, perceive bad assets or low growth assets or low valuation assets. Um, But at the same time, like. Usually, there's there's a price right that 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 makes it fairly compelling, especially if you have a catalyst that's going to force the the spinoff or the stock to re-rate. Um, but I'd say you know oftentimes um, you know they are they are trying to get rid of a a, a low quality perceived asset. I mean, you have other examples like Vimeo's is a spinoff from IC recently, and that one has not performed well. It still has really good fundamentals, I think. IC is kind of like a value stock, um, you know, Twitter favorite stock. And um, so I think there's just like been a big turnover in the shareholder base um, in terms of Vimeo. And then growth definitely has decelerated too. But in that case, it was just a company that's a phenomenal company. And see's business model is to incubate these companies until they can stand on their own and then, and then spin them off. And that's what you want. Um, IDT, I know that's a company that, that, that you're familiar with. They've spun off like five companies. Um that have all you know, generally done pretty well. There's probably another couple in the pipeline for IDT. Um, but you know, I'd say more oftentimes than not, uh, the parent company is trying to spin off a perceived low-quality asset.
0: So you've talked about a few case studies already and, and even some very well-known examples. But what would you say have been are, are some of the most famous examples of not only just it was a well-known parent company and spun off a well-known subsidiary or something, uh, you know, give give us a give us some of the most famous examples that that are out there. One, maybe one or two.
1: Yeah, of course. So, um, so yeah. So, so one. I mean, um, this is this this happened last year, and it's kind of an interesting case study. But United Technologies, um, uh, basically was it was a big conglomerate, right? They had the aerospace division, they had the elevator business, and they had the um, AC business, basically. So, like. A really well-run company, um, you know, good capital allocation, but those businesses, you know, they're all going to trade higher, you know, on their own than they were um, together. So, um, and and even though, you know, that was the case, there was still an opportunity to buy that thing ahead of the breakup and and makes, make some really good money. Um, granted the spinoff happened right as COVID was kind of at its worst, right, when the market started to crash. So I think that definitely contributed as well. But, um, you know, Remain Co United, which ended up merging with Raytheon, is the remaining company. So a defense contractor plus aerospace. And then you have Carrier, which is um, really focused on kind of refrigeration and, and other stuff like that. And then um, you have Otis, which is just like one of the biggest uh, elevator companies in the world. And that's been off has, has worked out really well Otis has done very well care has been has been a rocket ship and then I think UTX has even uh recovered with the aerospace recovery all
0: right the I don't want to dig in too much into your research or do uh create some premium content that your subscribers will be like what you did that for free <clears throat> with my next question but I mean from what you see out there right now I mean we're seeing stocks continuing to reach all-time highs these huge massive companies becoming bigger and bigger. I mean, are there any from these bigger, you know, Fang stocks or any of these other, you know, uh, hundred billion dollar stocks that we could be seeing some spin-offs from or, or you know, I don't know. I'd just be curious. Yeah, if, if no, totally. I mean,
1: I think so, um, this this is gonna be heretical, but I think uh like Berkshire Hathaway, I think at Berkshire Hathaway, um, like if when once Buffett, you know, hopefully it never happens, but once he passes away, there's probably going to be some, some discussion about whether or not to break up Berkshire Hathaway and the stock would definitely trade at a premium. I mean, it would, there would be a lot of value unlocked there. You know, I don't want to go there. I know people, people don't want to talk about that, but, but that's one that, um, interesting. How dare be, you?
0: Yeah, exactly. How, how Could be dare interesting.
1: You? <laughs> um, I mean, I think Google, right. It's like Google, uh, they have they have YouTube. I mean, I don't know what YouTube would be worth um, by itself. I mean, in this crazy meme environment, I don't know what Waymo their you know EV autonomous driving unit would would, would trade at. So, um, I mean, Amazon could could spin off AWS. Like, they definitely could uh, could definitely unlock some value. I and especially with. Um, especially with uh, all this um, pressure from, from the regulators on, you know, these tech perceived monopolies, Facebook, same thing. I mean, Instagram, you know, what would that be worth? WhatsApp. What, what would that be worth? Um, so, I mean, I think if it, if it were to happen, I think it would be a positive um, Rockefeller's, you know, company, you know, famously, you know, had to be broken up and it got spun off into, you know, standard oil of New York and, and Chevron and Texaco and all these companies. And, um, I think if you, I forget the exact returns, but once those companies were broken up, uh, Rockefeller got a lot richer because all those individual companies were valued um, kind of as pure plays of uh, for different geographies around the country, and so it actually unlocked a lot of value. And I think a similar case definitely um, you know could be said for all the big tech companies. There's there's a lot of value there that that um, definitely isn't being probably fully appreciated if kind of on a, on a case by case basis. Uh, looking at each individual division.
0: I mean, we haven't really seen too much. I mean, obviously it's talked about a lot and breaking up big tech and breaking up some of these other, you know, huge conglomerates, but it's not, I don't, I can't remember a story in recent memory of the regulators actually saying, all right, let's go, break it up. It's time, you know, like I, I, I can't remember anything recently, at least in the last couple of years.
1: Uh, yeah, I can't either. Yeah, it's, it's more about, I guess, uh, right now, I, the, the focus has probably been on like no acquisitions. Like Facebook's not going to be able to make any any meaningful acquisition probably for the rest of its life. Um, but yeah, you're right. There hasn't been any any focus on it. I mean, it'd be interesting to see if if any of the companies initiated. I mean, I think that would be that would be a massive. If you wanted to unlock a lot more value. I think I think I think it definitely would. I wonder why they wouldn't. I mean, what do you think? Um I um yeah I I don't I mean I, you know for Bezos with Amazon it's kind of like you know it's his baby it's his one it's his one you know company it's all under the same umbrella he's worth however many hundred billion dollars what does he need another you know 100 another 100, $100 billion dollars um same thing with Zuckerberg maybe it's kind of like about um you know building building his building his empire and, you know, making it bigger and bigger and being able to, um, you know, being able to be in control of all of that. But I don't know. That's just me, you know, riffing. I have I, have no idea. I have no idea. Yeah, I,
0: I figured we'd riff on it a little bit just because it's like, yeah. I mean, you make a very good case. And I mean, we know this a little bit going in, like, hey, especially if there's a ton of value to be unlocked, if you want to spin off some of these things. like,
1: I, Especially if they're good assets, like really, you know. High quality assets. Like it's not like they'd be spinning off dogs. Um, like if you know Google spun off Waymo or um, or YouTube. Test, I mean,
0: or even Tesla spun off SpaceX. I mean, yeah, like yeah. can yeah, you imagine? Yeah. Right. I mean, uh, what's the 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 Tesla?
1: Does Tesla own SpaceX? Or I guess Elon own owns them
0: all. Elon's yeah. own. Yeah, I guess Elon owns them all. That, okay. All right. Tesla. But that Twitter's would, that about would to be come crazy. for me. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well. So the, the one of your big Twitter threads that you posted uh, not that long ago is about why about how spinoffs re- usually just go unnoticed by investors. So why is this the case?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's just like there's so much to do, right? Like you're busy, you know, you got your business that you're running like Um, everybody else has, has their business that they're running. Um, There's, there's just so much to do. And there's so many of them and they kind of sneak up on you. And even though people know that they're interesting opportunities, um, they, they, they often sneak up on you. I mean, even I miss some of them and it's like, it's my job to track them. And then, um, I mean, the other thing is, it's like, you just got to do the work. Like, um, they tend to be small, smaller end of the spectrum. So if you're mainly focused on big cap stocks, it's not going to be that relevant for you. Um, and it's, it's just hard to dig through the filings and just something as simple as find the capitalization, like what's the right shares outstanding? What's the pro forma debt? Um, what's the earnings profile of the business? I think it's something that just, that just kind of takes a lot of work. And, you know, unless it's your mandate, you know, to look at it, I think um, you're, you're probably just going to, um, you're, you're probably just gonna, gonna miss the majority of them unless, you know, somebody flags it for you. Very good.
0: All right. So Rich my, my favorite question that I love to ask everybody on here, what would you say is an investing experience that changed your career the most? I'm assuming it was that first spinoff.
1: Yeah. So I know this question cause I've listened to your podcast. So I kind of had thought about it. Um, you know, um, so it was. It's a name that I might have talked about with Maj, but it's um, a name called Liberated Syndication, and they're a podcast hosting company, so you're probably familiar with them. But um, they basically, um, it was, and it was a microcap stock. But they basically were spun off from a company called Fab Universal, and Fab Universal had like a checkered past, where the company basically went bankrupt uh, because of fraud. Like they acquired a Chinese company, the Chinese company uh, ended up turning up being a being a fraud. And but um, the company didn't go, go bankrupt. All debts were repaid. And what was left was this little podcast hosting business. And so they could have just not spun it off and just you know, started to, to turn around the business and just reemphasize that they, we still have this little business here. But what they did to kind of create some separation between Fab Universal and the new company was spin off Liberated Syndication. So if you owned one share of, of Fab Universal, you got one share of of the spinoff called Liberated Syndication, and um, I I don't know how I stumbled upon it because they didn't file a Form 10. It was a microcap stock, but um, it, it looked like it was trading. It came out at like twenty cents, and I think it had generated like twenty cents of earnings the prior year, and it was growing you know twenty percent, twenty five percent organically. And it's in this podcasting business that's just completely blowing up. And so I did a ton of work, probably the most work that I'd ever done. And, you know, ended up, ended up, you know, buying that one and making a lot of, making a lot of money on it. Um, but that was, that was just really fun. Cause it was, um, I guess when I first started reading Greenblatt's books, I was, I was too dialed in on like any spinoff is good. And you think like, oh, nobody's looking at this, but really like there are a lot of crappy businesses that are spun off. But this was the first situation where I was like, "Wow, this is actually like an incredibly um, attractive business, trading at like a crazy valuation." And unless it's not a fraud, it's going to be a home run. And you know, I did some work to get some confidence that it wasn't a fraud. Um, But you know, that that was the first spinoff that I made a ton of money on, and then it also really opened me up to the opportunity in microcaps. Like these situations exist. I mean, you don't come across them all all the time, but you can find these incredible values that through a, because of a cork in the system, nobody's looking at it. So I'd say that's probably the most uh, you know, my favorite kind of initial um, experience. Very cool. Are are you still a shareholder
0: in in Libsyn?
1: Good call. Yes. So I am. I, um, I actually sold it um, and then I bought it back. So it's kind of, it's morphed over time, but yes, still a shareholder.
0: It's an interesting one. I think we talked about yeah. it a little bit on Majest one. So yeah, totally. it's, it's I have my I have my opinions on it. For full disclosure, I'm not a sure. show. And I use Podbean, but okay. It's story for another day. Anyways, yeah, yeah. So, you know, a, as we're coming a little bit to the close here, you know, what what would you say? What advice would you have for, for investors that may not have been looking at spin-offs before, but now want to maybe dip their toe a little bit and understand it a bit better?
1: Yeah, so I would say um. You know, re- read Joel Greenblatt's book. It's it's eye opening. Um, read Seth Klarman's Margin of Safety because he has a chapter on spin-offs too. And it's it's really expensive if you buy it on Amazon, but like there there are PDF copies floating around. I have one. If you wanna wanna message me and I can I can share it with you. Um, but you know that that's interesting. Um, there's a there's a lot of literature. There's a lot of sites. You know, including mine where we you know I have a premium service, but I also put out a lot of you know free free content as well. I have a spin-off calendar, um, which you know has most of the spin-offs linked. So you can kind of check check out what are the upcoming spin-offs. But I would say, you know, dip your dip your toe in. I mean, um, I'm a big fan of keeping like an investing journal. Um, I think the best thing to do is to to start a blog, a Substack. It's never been easy to start like a blog through Substack, but um, you know, just to kind of hold yourself accountable and document the decisions for why you're choosing to invest in any company, whether it's a spin-off or not, because I feel like um, you know, I really didn't start learning that much about spinoffs until I until I started investing and also kind of wrote down why I was doing it. And you kind of uh, start to have some pattern recognition about, you know, what tends to work and what, what doesn't work. So I would say, you know, there's a lot of good resources. The green black books. Awesome. Um, bunch of good info on Twitter and, and online and then just, you know, dive right into it.
0: Very cool. Well, Rich, we're there, man. Uh, where can our audience go and find more information to follow you on social media, as well as subscribe to your newsletter?
1: Yeah. So, um, stockspinoffinvesting.com. Uh Just uh, that's that's my site. So, got a bunch of you know free good stuff there. So, check that out. Um, you can also Google just stock spinoff investing, and I should pop pop right up. Um, and uh, and then I'm I'm on Twitter at um, stock spinoffs with two S's. Stock spinoffs was taken, so I just added on an S probably not the most creative idea, but, um, but those, that's where you can probably learn the most about me and kind of interact about spinoffs. Very cool. All
0: right. Well, Rich, before I let you go, did we miss anything? Did we cover everything there is to cover on spinoffs?
1: Dude, this was comprehensive. We covered it, a, it all.
0: We, we did it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good. Spinoff, spin-off Twitter's not going to come for me saying like, you should have talked about this. Are you sure? I think you, I think, I think you got it all, buddy. All right. Good stuff. Well, Rich, thank you so much for joining me today, man. I really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. I look forward to our next update.
1: Thanks so much, Bobby. All right. See
0: you again. cast.